Blog Talk Radio. I can hold you Another edition of Rungren Radio. Our guest today is Dave Gregory, XTC fame. We're going to have fun with that. Uh, we just started having our second XTC guest in the last few weeks here, so we appreciate them coming on. And I know a lot of the XT fans are out there. I want to appreciate and show the love to Chalk Hills and the XTC official site. I know they've helped advertise this, and I know a lot of those guys will be calling in today. I'm going to start up the chat room here for you, so if you are not able to see it, Let's see, let's get that started. You'll need to refresh your page, and you'll be good to go. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you being on. I want to make a couple announcements right quick, and then we'll get this thing started. Okay. All right. So, again, the chat room's up and running, so if you want to enjoy that, you can also send me questions every now and then. I may check it. Chasm Sultan's on tour, 321 in Chicago, 322 in Cleveland, and 328 in New York. He just finished a few shows, including the one in Atlanta that we did. That was a lot of fun. Hope you were there, or hope you are going to enjoy the DVD when it comes out later. Todd Rungren on tour April 4th through the 9th in Japan. So if you're in Japan, you are in luck. If you want to see Todd, he is going over there in April. Then he comes back to the USA for a Southeast tour that starts in Tampa on 4-12, April the 12th, and ends on 420. All stop, a lot of stops in between, including Atlanta on 417. I will be there. I hope to see you there. Look me up if you are in Atlanta on 417. And last but not least, there is a radio show on this week online on mvyradio.com that you may want to check out. It's about Utopia's Deface the Music album. So they're going to play the entire album and have some insight and information about it, what it's about, why it was written, the Beatles connection, everything like that, at mvyradio.com, Tuesday at 4 o'clock Eastern, if you want to check that out. So that's it. That's all the announcements. All right. So, Dave, I really appreciate you being on today. Um, I'm honored to be asked to be to be here. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm kind of, it's not very often I get to talk live on the radio. Oh, really? Is that right? Did you get to hear Andy uh, a couple weeks ago on here? No. Well, the problem is here I don't have broadband, so I don't kind of use the computer for uh, listening to radio or or doing anything. You know, downloading YouTube and stuff like that. I don't because I, I I just end up doing nothing else with my time other than getting glued to the glued to the computer, and I don't really want to do that. So I've kind of resisted the urge to go broadband. <laughs> so I use it for picking up email and just communicating with folks. I got you. I can't imagine trying to listen to this on. Uh non-broadband so yeah i got you we had a lot of fun with him and, and we really appreciate you being on and we're obviously going to talk about lots of xtc things and some of the skylarking album but before we get into that i wanted to know i was i got your email and you mentioned you were in semi-retirement and i was kind of curious what you meant by that 
Uh, well, it's just a polite way of saying uh, I haven't got any work at the moment. <laughs> um, it's kind of difficult to know because, I mean, it's, at the age of 55, what does um, a former sideman in a rock band actually do? What's he going to do until retirement? I mean, I'm, I just do what I've always done, which is, you know, play, listen to a lots, lots of music, play my guitar, uh, just mess around, dick around at home, you know, just please myself. I, I've got a really fantastic life, if I'm perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fortunate that the records are still selling and, um, you know, I get a little check every six months, so <laughs> money isn't actually an issue at the moment, although that's not going to last very much longer, I don't suppose. But, you know, it's kind of, because I'm not, um, I suppose it's like when... Uh, you know, middle-aged people don't get offered the best jobs. They never get, you know, all the best jobs, the high-paid jobs, go to the young folks who are keen, mad keen to do something, who are highly motivated and uh, really, really want to work. And at, at my time of life now, Governor, I feel like putting my feet up and, uh, you know, getting the pipe and slippers out, you know. <laughs> I'm with you. 55 and retired. That's pretty nice. Well, I do, yeah, it would be. It would be if I could sort of say, yes, I'm officially retired now. But uh, yeah, no, I have to say, I will probably, uh, you know, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm fortunate that I can just do the jobs that I want to do. You know, if someone offers me work and I've, I, I like the idea, then uh, off I go and do it. But I don't, I, I don't have to sort of go out and work for somebody else who I don't necessarily like. You know, that's the worst thing. I got you. Well, obviously, you like Mike Kanita because I know there's some stuff you guys were working on, and I was curious about that. Andy mentioned it and said that, you know, I was kind of hoping it would get out somewhere yeah, so we could hear it. I, I just, uh, well, we never actually um, did anything with it. I think the problem uh, with Mike is, A, he's very, very busy. Uh, he's, uh, and, of course, he gets um, he, he goes away for months at a time on these various projects that he does. And he's such a fantastic musician. I'm surprised he's not more in demand. Uh, because he really is um, on another level from most of us. Of course, th- that leaves me with a problem. What would I actually do in Mike's band? <laughs> There's nothing that I do that he couldn't do with one hand tied behind his back. Uh, plus, there's this geographical problem. Uh, it's not such an issue now with uh, the the, the uh, World Wide Web, of course, but um, you know, there, there will come a point when we have to get together in a room and uh, play music together and form a band and... Uh, takes a few weeks to start a band and get it, get it rehearsed to a point where you want people to actually listen to what they're doing. And then did, uh, y'all, did y'all do a song together or something? I mean, there was well, something. Well, he, he came he came to my house. He was on tour with a. He came over to to appear in London with um, a Zappa tribute orchestra, and he came. He had some time, some free time, so he came to Swindon. Actually, he went to see Andy. They had some ideas about writing songs, and then he came to my house, and uh, we just had a jam one afternoon and uh, knocked something up. We never got it finished. I mean, it was just, <laughs> we didn't really, I think all of Mike's, um, all his best ideas went to Andy, but I wasn't really able to, um, you know, come up with very much of anything terribly useful. But I did, it was really exciting to just sort of just be with him for the afternoon, just working, listening to the ways he plays and the stuff that comes out of his head, you know, and the stuff you least expect to hear. It's always the most interesting. Uh, but we never actually got the track finished. I, I do have a rough mix of it here, but uh, it, uh, it still needs work, you know. Okay, well, that that's, uh, tells us about that, because somehow I got on the Internet, and I know Andy knew about it, and he liked it, whatever it was you guys did together. We had Mike here as a guest one time. He was great. And... Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's a really, really good... Uh, just what a fantastic brain in the man. Uh, he's just not just his musical ability, but... 
his conversation, and uh, I've, seen, I've read it, some of the uh, reviews that he used to write for the uh, San Diego Tribune, I believe it was, years ago. They were just really, I mean, he could have a career in music journalism or any kind of journalism if he wanted. Of course, what he does best is uh, compose music and play guitar, and he's just phenomenal at both. Well, he's been staying pretty busy about that, but let's let's get uh, back to you because you are our guest. <laughs> we have had Mike before; he was great, and uh, I appreciate you telling us what all y'all did together because I know that there was some curiosity about that. But I think we have an international call, so I'm going to go ahead and take that right quick. Okay. And uh, if they can figure out their own here, because I can't see their number. All right, international call, are you with us? Uh, is that me, Doug? That is you. Oh, hi. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. The name's Trevor Williams. I'm calling from Melbourne in Australia, uh, where it's 5 a.m., <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lovely to hear Dave. It's lovely to hear you, Trevor. And uh, What are you doing up at 5 in the morning? Uh, I, I can assure you I wouldn't be up at this time if it wasn't you on the radio, pal. Well, I hope I'm not depriving you of uh, too much beauty sleep or anything like that. I mean, it's just... Uh, <laughs> This is just an amazing phenomenon, isn't it, this, this Internet thing? It's just uh, hands across the ocean and all that, and it's all, it's all very wonderful, and uh, you just never know who you're gonna be, who's, who's going to turn up in your mailbox. Yeah, it is a surprising world. Uh, a, a couple of very quick questions, Dave, because there's probably plenty of people waiting to call you. Um, I know you were looking forward very much to working with Todd uh, before the Skylarking uh, trip. Um, and we had Andy on this show a couple of weeks ago, as you probably know. Um, and uh, his opinion of Todd was that he was a, a genius arranger, but not so good in the uh, engineering department. Uh, did he live up to your expectations, and uh, what did you think of uh, his arranging and his engineering skills? I, I didn't have a problem with either of those things. Um, the thing is, Todd has a sound. Uh, it's instantly recognizable if you're a fan of Todd you know what that is it's a kind of well I won't go into technical details but it's something everything that he's he records sounds great on the radio uh, it may not stand up to close scrutiny in the uh, rarefied atmosphere of a studio but you know you hear it on the radio and, and you, you can hear you can hear that's Todd's work straight away and, I, and, and it was just I was curious to know how he was going to handle the three of us you know and how, how the record was going to sound I was really excited just to be in the same room as he was and, and to have him working on our project I mean it was just like for three guys from a little town in England uh, to have this amazing musical maverick genius man actually prepared to work with us was just you know was just, what a gift you know I was just so um, enthralled of him uh, he didn't disappoint on any level and uh, like you say his, his arranging skills were just incredible I mean most of the string uh, arrangements on the album he did overnight quite literally in a few hours you listen to a song like Sacrificial Bonfire the last track on the album all those strings were were sort of written out in the wee small hours uh, while we were out having dinner so um, you know it's just it, you just it, it, it beggars belief sometimes you, when you when you hear that sort of skill at, when you can see that kind of skill at work did you uh, uh, I, I'm a big fan of your arranging skills uh, particularly on um, Thomas Walsh's Pugwash albums mm -hmm. did you pick up a lot about uh, arranging from Todd not really, no, because I've always had my own way of doing things. Um, the actual string parts, um, 
they that's the string the thing was when i was a when I was a kid, I never heard any pop music until I was about ten or eleven years old until the Beatles came. My dad had a big collection of classical seventy eight r p m shellac records that's what we had to listen to in the house. so I grew up listening to classical music and taking piano lessons and of course you are sat down with sheet music from you know Mozart and Beethoven and all those sort of people so I had you know that was sort of instilled in me from an early age and I grew up listening to um, string quartets and, and all that kind of stuff and learning to read music so having learned to read music then there would it was only a question of time before I actually got to write some of it down um, and having a sort of natural uh, propensity for string quartets and, and classical music or some classical music not all because I find a lot of it deeply boring but um, it did uh, though I didn't, couldn't have known at the time it stood me in good stead for you know doing just extending my range in the in the studio with the band because of course you know when the two guitars bass drums lineup of XTC vanished when we stopped touring it was like well you know we've got all, we, we can now spend a little more time in the studio we've got all these other elements here that we can work with um, and I started to brush up on my keyboard playing, you know, because they had these fantastic pianos. All the studios we went to had these amazing grand pianos, and it was just suddenly was like, oh, this is what I've been missing all these years. This is why I didn't uh, didn't spend more time at the piano, because I didn't have an instrument like this that created such a fantastic sound. So, um, you know, that was the first thing, and then we suddenly started looking around at uh, synthesizers and the Mellotron, of course, that <coughs> And, um, alien interception. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually, as time went on, I thought, well, um, maybe it's time. We, we haven't done a string quartet. We haven't done our Eleanor Rigby yet. And so um, I think a thousand umbrellas kind of fitted into that mm. pocket. I bought a synthesizer with um, a sequencer in it. And I was really taken with this little sequencer thing i thought this could be the answer to all my problems you know you could just um, track these uh, various parts up and create your own little orchestra it was this was back in the mid 80s and it was kind of still quite new so i bought this little roland sequencer and uh, i just fell in love with the idea of uh, a bit like les paul must have done when he first discovered multi-tracking with his guitar playing you know it was a similar yeah. thing suddenly i'm i have these string samples I can work on these parts individually and, and create these um, arrangements without having to sit at a piano with a pencil between my teeth trying to figure out how everything works. <laughs> so that was kind of where it all started, and The Thousand Umbrellas was the first full arrangement that I did for the band. Oh, great. And um, that's, that's basically where it started from. There you go. Right, thanks, uh, thanks very much, Dave. It's lovely to talk to you. Thanks for calling in from Australia. Thank thanks, you, Doug. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. All righty. Great. Okay, so we've got a few people on hold. Just to let you know, the chat room, you may want to register if you want to participate in there. It helps out. And then, sorry about that noise. I'm having a little buzz that's driving me crazy, but I was trying to fix it. So anyway, okay. hopefully you don't hear that, and uh, we can have some good, clear sound for the listeners. 646-716-9262 is the number, and we're going to take a call. This was our first caller, but I want to take international first. So this is a caller from area code 402. Hello? Hello? Hello. I was just uh, calling to uh, find out, since this is the Rundgren radio show and Dave Gregory's work is uh, featured on Skylarking, I wanted to ask about um, if there are any songs from that period that he feels, given all the demo releases, maybe could have had 
you know, kind of missed out on the full production treatment. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of things like Terrorism, which is one of my favorite songs. Um, I know that there are demo versions only, or to my knowledge, that's all there is. Um, I wanted to ask just which, which songs he feels kind of got missed in the mix, because that was very much a conceptual album, the way Todd got to working on it. That's right, yeah, he did, uh, this was always a problem with us, you know, um, whereas most bands tend to fall apart for lack of inspiration or lack of songs, we always had the embarrassment of the riches of having too many songs, and there were always going to be casualties, and of course it was very rare, once an album had been made and those demos had been uh, issued, you know, had been thrown up for consideration for the, for the proper releases, the songs were never, they, we never went back to them. And he always wanted, every time there was a new record, he wanted to start afresh. So, um, of course, songs like Terrorism and uh, Let's Make a Den, and, and uh, what was the, I'm trying to think of the, a few others from that period. Um, but, you know, they, they were kind of left, left to one side and, and not, not revisited, and it was a bit of a shame. Uh, I know that Terrorism was not included because Todd was, he, he definitely didn't want to do anything political. Uh, it was outside the circle, as he put it. You know, he wanted, he had this idea for this concept album, this this passing day, and um, he didn't necessarily want to uh, to disturb, just you know, get go get outside the circle. So yeah, terrorism was a casualty. Um, Extrovert very nearly was. That came out as a B-side, I think, as, as a single in the UK. I'm not sure whether that actually was released in America, but that very nearly went. Um, can't really remember too many other songs, but uh, you know, without Andy's um, fuzzy warbles in front of me, I can't remember necessarily what the titles were. It's a long time ago. Thanks a lot, Dave. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for calling. All right, very good. We got a long line of people calling in, so we will take a call. If you don't mind, if you are a caller and you are on one of the forums, let us know what your forum name is. Cause I know that people on these forums. Uh, like to know who you are, and y'all talk about that after it's over. It's been a lot of fun seeing the reactions to the Andy show. So I'm going to take a call right now from 704. Hello. Hey. Hey, how are you, Doug? Doing well. Dave, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this show. I really appreciate it. Hi, it's a pleasure. I've been a fan of yours since uh, about Skylarking. I was lucky enough to get through to Andy a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And um, I just wanted to ask, um, not to bring up anything painful, but we've heard everyone's version of uh, the dissatisfaction around the uh, Apple Venus sessions. I just wanted to get your version of it. Ah, <laughs> it's rather a long story. I, I don't know whether we sort of have uh, time to go into it in, in fine detail. Sure, but sure. yes, it was a very, very difficult. Um, there were all kinds of problems. Um, ah, now, then, how can I? How can I most? What's the most tactful way of <laughs> broaching this subject? Um, it wasn't really, uh, you know, it wasn't musical differences. Uh, they were political things. It was all about some um, uh, personal problems. None of us were oh. particularly happy at the time, um, you know, either in or out of the studio. I think a lot of um, a lot of stuff that had been bubbling under the surface came came to the surface, and it shouldn't have done. It should have stayed, you know, hidden and discreetly covered. Um, there were problems, uh, but basically, uh, yeah, I can't remember whether th- this probably should be a book written about the whole, the Apple with Venus disaster, because it was just fraught with problems from day one. It should have gone swimmingly, but um, 
you know, stuff just kept happening, real bad stuff. I mean, we we wasted like two months in um, having prepared the basic uh, tracks with Hayden Bendel, who was the producer, or actually was the co-producer and engineer. We went to do the preparation, and we got off to a flying start. We had like about 22 songs all prepared. We had a smaller budget than we normally had, and of course Andy wanted to do two albums on this on this same budget. So we'd done some sums and decided that uh, it was possible to do it uh, if nothing went wrong. If we booked the studio that we'd been promised at the price we'd been promised, and um, nothing went wrong to, uh, to it, nothing got in the way of the sessions, and it all went to plan, we could actually deliver these two albums for this single budget. Well, of course. <laughs> best laid plans and all that and it didn't happen um there was a problem at the studio and basically we lost all the uh, early masters the tapes were confiscated we had to start again from scratch in the new year and uh, you know that that took a huge chunk out of the budget and, and more specifically in the time scan that we had um, and then, of course, I don't know, there was something about Andy and Hayden together. They were real, very, very, very nitpicking about everything, tiny, tiny little microscopic details of sound and performance that I'd never, uh, you know, experienced before. I could appreciate why they were doing it and why it was um, necessary to, you know, we have to make a record that's better, bigger and better than the last one. We mustn't make any mistakes. And so, um, you know, this put me under a lot of pressure because... We weren't actually a working band, you know. We just we'd worked on stuff at home, and right. uh, then we were brought into a professional studio and expected to uh, suddenly become professional shiny musicians. Um, and I found it very very difficult, especially the the keyboard parts, because I was really put through the mill on those things. And listening to the record now, which I haven't done for some time, I have to confess, because it's not a nice. Uh, I don't get a good feeling off it even though I can appreciate it's a very, very fine body of work, at least the volume one. Um, listening to the piano parts that I did, I think, no, they're just stiff and kind of uninspired and just don't doesn't sound like me playing. They'd have done better to have put them in the computer, quantized everything, you know, and worked on the... Uh, and, and it would have been a lot less painful for everybody. That was, was just one of, one of the problems. Right. But it was basically me feeling that, uh, you know, I was being bullied into stuff I wasn't comfortable with, and uh, the end result wasn't justifying the means. And uh, I decided at the time, you know, this is going to get far worse before it gets any better, you know. And I thought that I, I was doing them a favor by going. I thought that's what they wanted. I thought that's what Andy wanted. So I thought, well, you know, the sooner I make myself scarce, the quicker they can get on with whatever it is they want to do. I was, I was going to ask, was it the orchestral uh, direction it was taking that, um, that bothered it was a you? Problem. Well, the thing was, they, Andy was determined to um, uh, hire a string orchestra, and, uh, you know, he wanted to do it at Abbey Road. And the sums didn't add up. We didn't have the money, you know. There was no money to do that. But he was insisting that that was what was going to be done, even if it meant um, discarding the other album to do it. And so basically that's what happened. The, uh, all the Rocky stuff was put to one side. He wanted to do an album that was basically orchestral. And, um, you know, it just meant... It was, but of course it was very, very expensive. And it meant that uh, all the budget was going to go on the, uh, on the string sessions. That was the last money. We didn't have any more money um, at the time. Uh, there was nobody stepping forward to, to bail us out. You know, there, was no in, there were no international deals on the table and no advances on offer. 
So there was there were financial considerations. So that was uh, you know, and of course he did it. I don't know how they did it. They got an advance, I think, from a Japanese record company. They paid for all the all the recording costs. But whether it ever recouped, I don't know. I have no idea. But that was again, you know, it, it's like musicians bitching about money is something that I really um, I'm not in simp- I'm not very simpatico with. And yet, until you know, until it happens to me, you know, it's like, well. <laughs> What do I get out of this? Yeah. Not a penny. Um, and I'm not even, you know, it's not even, in my opinion, the best record we could be making. You know, I, I thought that a compromise could have been reached, but Andy was insisting, no, compromise equals crap art. That was his quote. So um, that kind would of put you, me in my place. Would you say that attitude of his, uh, his inflexibility, you might say, has thwarted the career of XTC? or? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not entirely. I don't want to say... Uh, <laughs> you could... That's, that's, well, it's not... The thing is, there's, there's, two, there's two ways of looking at it. It's great to be single-minded and inflexible if you know what you're doing. And most of the time he does, I have to say. He's, he, I mean, he delivered a very, very fine record. But was it worth the, the heartache and, the, and the, just all the horribleness that went into its creation? Because it didn't, I don't, well, I don't know how many it sold, that's the truth of it, but I don't imagine it sold in significantly more numbers than any of our other records. Mm. Um, even though, you know, I think if he put it out as a solo album, I'd be sort of lauding it to the skies and saying, you know, it's a really fantastic body of work. This writing, you can't fault the writing, the string arrangements are superb. And, um, and it's, you know, really, really is a good, a, a good record. Yeah. But of course, I'm kind of. Uh, because I was so closely involved with it. And I did put a lot of work into it. I was working on it for four months, for God's sake, and uh, didn't get paid or credited for the work that I did. But even though I imagine some of it was replaced, I still feel a little bit aggrieved that uh, I was sort of cast out of it, you know, cast out of the, 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 uh, the credit process. Does that mean uh, no more collaborations with Andy, or has that been rectified? Uh, well, we're friends now, you know. We we are actually back on friendly terms. I'm glad about that, because I'd rather have friends than enemies sure. in the long run. Um, we just don't want to work together. That's as simple as that. And um, I wouldn't necessarily rule out not doing anything with him ever again. I wouldn't say that necessarily, but I can't, um, I can't see any... Happy XTC reunion. <laughs> well, according according to Andy, it was Colin doesn't seem to want to be involved in any of that anymore. No, so. I don't think he does. I don't. I'm not really in touch with Colin anymore. Um, but I get the impression that he's uh, sort of just sort of slipping out of sight. I don't. I don't know what his plans are. Whether he's whether he wants to continue with music, I don't know. I have no idea. But he's um, he hasn't called me, and I haven't called him. So we've kind of drifted apart. All right, very good. 704, appreciate you giving us a call. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Sure. Bye. Okay, everybody else on hold, sorry about that. We are getting good answers, so we'll just try to keep everybody on as long as we can, and hopefully you don't mind holding too long. 466, you're with us. Hello, this is Per Aronsson from Sweden calling. Hello, Per. Nice to hear your voice, Dave. It's nice yeah. to hear your voice, Per. I've, I've read all your uh, little comments on the, uh, on the website. You're a regular contributor, I know. Oh, uh, you mean on the MySpace? On the MySpace, yes. Uh-huh. Have, have you ever checked in at the forum? It's a bit of a labyrinth, is the forum. I do. I have been there, but uh, I kind of get lost. <laughs> yeah, I understand it. 
Uh, I actually ha would like to start with a sand type of question, and it's uh, what is the most strange and most surprising suggestion you ever have got from a fan? And also the most nice and uh, good thing you ever got from a fan? Because I suppose you have got a lot of reactions from fans around the world. Yeah, well, mm, it's difficult. I'm, I just kind of very, very uh, happy to have any fans at all. Uh, just <laughs> friends, you know. I, just, it's just like, you know, I, like I said just now, rather have friends than enemies. And it's great that I've, this band has made me a lot of really good friends. And um, that's, it's very, very nice. I mean, it's like here I am talking to people now on the phone across the miles. Um, I haven't actually done anything to, to really warrant this other than play and perform on a, on a bunch of records that people happen to like. And it's very nice to um, get some, a little bit of feedback from, for, the, for doing that sometimes. But, it's, you know, it's ter I'm terribly spoiled because there's hundreds of thousands of musicians just like me um, every, every bit as capable as I am, who, who never, who people will never hear hear from because they didn't get lucky or they didn't didn't appear on the right records or didn't play the right gigs. You know what I mean? So I'm very fortunate. I've never lost sight of the fact that uh, I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends as a result of um, of being part of this band. But it has uh, to be some some skills involved as well. Well, yes, obviously, but um, you know that's something I was just lucky. What about you know? I, I, it would have been just as easy to have these skills and, and not get the lucky breaks. You know, if I hadn't known Andy all those years ago, um, he, he wouldn't have called me. You know, he wouldn't have... Uh, he, he obviously knew what I could do and what I was capable of and, and gave me a call, but uh, he could just as easily have um, gone through the whole audition process, gone to London, because at the time, you know, they had two records out. They could have, They were well-known. They, they could have had anybody, but... You know, it's it's very nice of him to have called me, and uh, and and I, I was lucky to have stayed as long as I did. You know, are you surprised by the fact that you mentioned you were still getting royalties? I mean, it's been a while since y'all have done any work, and that that fans are still purchasing these. Um, you're still getting royalties, and fans are still this interested in you guys. And yeah. you know, with the way that CDs now can be shared and everything, that there's still money to be had uh, even today for music that y'all did a pretty good while. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly amazed because um, you know even even in the days of file sharing, you know the record companies are all up in arms about this music. You know it's like back in the 80s when they were saying home taping is killing music. Well, it isn't really. It's just a means of of uh, sharing your favourite stuff with your friends, and they'll get, if they like it, they'll go out and buy a record. I don't really see where the problem is. I I, I know that some. Um, Downloading for free is something that uh, is always going to sort of be a thorn in the side of professional people. But you have to look at it. It's a bit of free promotion. That's the way I see it. And we are still selling CDs. Not as many, not anything like as many as we did when they were first released, obviously. But it's trickling through. It's quite a big catalogue of stuff, as you can probably understand, maybe 18 or 19 albums. And um, luckily for us, they've never been deleted. You know, they're, they're always out there. People are still buying them. They're a lot cheaper than they were, of course, when they were first released. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter. It's an amazing catalogue, I have to say. Well, thank you, Per. And it's, it's uh, nice that people, I'd like to thank everyone who's ever bought any morsel from that catalogue and kept us in business. Oh, I have so many, so it's almost ridiculous. 
Uh, I have another question about uh, recording with uh, with Todd, and it's about playing that famous S.B. Gibson guitar. Uh-huh. How was it? Was it uh, great because of the sound or because of the legend behind the guitar? Well, it's really the legend of it, because it didn't really... I mean, when I played it, it didn't sound like Eric Clapton, or it didn't sound like Todd, even. So... Um, but just to see it in the studio, when we first went up to Woodstock and... Uh, and walked into the little into the studio, and there it was, just sitting on a stand, you know. And that just it was just it was like these sort of psychedelic rays coming off it. And I'd sort of seen and heard Eric Clapton use it back in the 60s when I first got interested in playing guitar, and thought, uh, you know, that it was it was the the most obvious guitar to, that would produce a sound that Eric Clapton might make with a guitar. You know, it just looked the part. And so uh, to see it, it's, it's had a few minor alterations over the years, but it's, good, it's great that Todd looked after it and, and was still using it, you know, it was still being used. So how how did he get to... his hands on it? Do you know that? I'm sorry? How did he get his hands on that guitar? Do you know that? Well, he actually, um, you mean Eric, or Eric Clapton or Todd? No, Todd. Oh, Todd, well, I don't know. I'm not even sure what amps he used. Uh, I think when we when we recorded my solo on uh, that's really super super girl when I when I used the guitar he had this thing called a Sans amp which was one of the early things like a, a preamp that you could plug into with a few effects in it and that went straight into the recording desk there were no uh, I don't remember using um, hooking it up to a real amplifier in the studio and of course he had a lot of um, flanging and wobble on it. It was, it, which is kind of, you know, one of one of Todd's many trademarks. You can hear it quite a lot in his own guitar playing. But um, you only used it on that's really super super girl, I guess. Yeah, that's that's the song that I used it on. Yeah. That's what we started the show with. Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> a perfect angle. Okay, many thanks. Good to speak to you, Dave. Nice to p- speak to you, uh, Pear, and I'll I'll look out for your posts on the um, on the MySpace. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Then I try to behave. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do, okay, you. bye. Bye-bye. All right. We are definitely going worldwide today. All right. Isn't it something? Craziness. All right. So we got some more people on hold. We're going to take your calls. You're listening to Rugger and Radio, and this is Dave Gregory of XTC. Caller from 703, area code. You're with us. 703, calling in. Um, is this 793? 703. I'm 703. Am I talking to 793, Dave? 793. Oh, the, my, my area code. Yes, that's right. You are. <laughs> We're RDing ourselves with with our area codes. This is uh this is Todd Bernhardt. Todd Bernhardt. I'm wonder I'm wondering how you're doing today. You sound well. All the better for hearing your voice, Todd. <laughs> Listen, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about remolds and and that project. Uh-huh. And um I recently heard the version of Supper's Ready that you did and it's just stunning. It's you know the scope and scale of what must have gone into that is is amazing, and I was hoping you'd talk a little bit about the um, your whole approach to doing all the remolds cuts and how much time they typically take you and the equipment you use and you know mostly your your motivation behind it. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a, the motivation behind it. That is a big question because I don't know why I do it either. <laughs> uh, to, to explain to people who aren't aware of this, this is um, um, a, a bunch of. Um, 
home recordings of uh, fabrications of some of my favorite music down the years that I put on a, a compilation called Remolds. It's about 10 years old now. I think the, the original concept is, is a bit old. Um, but um, basically, I think probably it's just my frustration at not being a writer, not being a songwriter, not being a real artist, just being a sideman and wanting to make music. That's really all it is. And wanting to not... Um, and also, like this, this, there, were t there are still times when I'll hear a piece of music and think, uh, oh, God, I wish I'd written that, or I wish I'd played on that solo, or I wish I had that sound on my guitar. Um, and now that I've got sort of a bunch of stuff upstairs that I can dick around with, and uh, it's, it's, it's closer to my grasp than it's ever been now. You know, I've got a house full of guitars and recording equipment, and effects pedals and God knows what. And it's fun, just, it's like putting a jigsaw together. Sure. Uh, um, or making, um, you know, like, so I think this is a very English thing about, uh, we, we're great model makers, us British fellows. We love making kits. We love putting together, you know, building scale models of the Cutty Sark out of matchsticks, that sort of thing. And I think it's, it plugs into that kind of mindset. That's probably why I do it. Um, and now that I've got sort of slightly more professional um, recording equipment in the house, then you know I want to get closer and closer to the real sound that uh, those records made. I mean, Supper's Ready was exceptional because, of course, it's it's a whole concept piece about 23 minutes long, yeah. and it took about you know it was six months work really basically and it was really? just it something that long yeah it, took, it, it was because I, I couldn't sit there and work on it in one go you know it's just something i guess kept, kept coming back to um and it's like a bit like painting a house i suppose you know it's like oh i think we could do the sitting room this week let's 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 see if we can approach that now did you do it section by section or did you lay down the drums first or how did you how did you put it together? yeah the drums are always the first thing program the drums on the sequencer roland i'm still using the same roland sequencer i bought in 1989 served me well you should the msq uh, sorry no it's got the mc 500 mark ii what a fantastic piece of kit uh it just it just keeps going, you know? And uh, I programmed my drums on that, and I triggered samples from a um, from an Alesis drum module, DM5, that I've had for about 12 years. All the sounds come out of those two pieces of equipment for drums, and they're the first things to go down. And I try and copy the drum parts as closely as I can, and then I go into the tempo changes, because that's a big thing, finding the groove, finding the, uh, the peaks and troughs, troughs of the of the actual uh, performance right. and uh, the velocity. I think that's the technical term. Um, so it just sort of, yes, it starts from the drums and we build up from there. You know, that's, that's kind of how it goes, goes on. Huh. So, but it's uh, a lot of work, Todd. It's not something that I just... Uh, it's, not like to it's a bit like Todd's Faithful Project, but whereby he could probably uh, knock up a record like that in a few days. It takes me months. Oh, well, yeah, I can imagine how long it must have taken you just to get, you know, Apocalypse and 9-8, the drumming part of that down. Yeah, that was a, that was a project. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when are you going to do your version of Singering and the Glass Guitar? Well, that could happen, yeah, that would be a good one. Um, it's, but I was actually, strangely you mentioned that, I've, I've been toying with the idea of doing the Icon, because I think that's a great, great, great piece of prog rock that has mm. never, ever been fully recognized as the genius work that it is um there was another i did make a start of um a, a few years ago i did start to do um 
oh, that's another Utopia tune. What was it? Um, Freak Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, I still got the the thing on the radar, but I haven't actually. Um, I think I got stuck when it came to the sound effects. You know, all the psychedelic sound effects in the middle. And I thought, well, I'll come back to that, and I never went back to it. Uh-huh. So that's in development. But uh, Singling in the Glass Guitar, yeah, again, a great, great little concept piece and cer- certainly something that's worthy of attention. Yeah, it would take you several weeks, I'm sure. At least. Let me ask one more question, if I could. Um, it's funny that you included MacArthur Park in the number of songs that you have covered because, you know, before I heard your version of it, I always just viewed it as kind of the worst metaphor in rock and roll lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, but obviously there's something else there. If if you felt it was worthy of you spent you know investing the kind of time and energy you're talking about to reassemble it, what what is it exactly about that song that made you want to cover it? I wonder what it is because from the day I first heard it when I was a kid in '68, I just thought it was um, the, the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. I mean, it was just six months after I am the Walrus, and now this. Where did it come from? Who's this guy, Jim Webb? What was he? He's just a kid. He's 21 years old. How did he get to be so good? This is just an amazing arrangement. And the fact that they, uh, he, he hired an actor to sing the, sing the vocal and, and press it up on you know, a 7 minute 45 and expect it to sell, I just thought, well, this is just, this is, this is, the, this is real prog rock. This is really progressive. It's a psychedelic masterpiece. Yeah. And uh, yes, you're right. It is a, a ham-fisted metaphor. But <laughs> what the hell? It was. It was the '60s. It was. That's what we did. That's what. That's why we were such fans of that daft period. You know. That's why it's still such a magical time because there was an innocence about it. Yeah. And um, it it wasn't controlled by marketing men and uh, and suits bossing the artists around. You know, just to, just the sales figures. It was possible to make a record like that, and someone would pay for it. Right. Yeah. Indeed, that was one of part of the magic of that time before the music business really did kind of take over everything and, um, you know, co-opt. Yeah. Creativity. Exactly. You know, which and, uh, there was another brief shining moment, I think, in the '70s, but they very quickly, you know, turned that into a commodity as, yeah. as well. Yeah. It's it's I mean, it's just life, isn't it? It's just modern life. Unfortunately, it's never you're never going to get away from the the lure of the donor. Indeed, indeed. Well, one more question, and I'll, I'll let other callers get their say. But you mentioned not being a writer, that being part of your frustration. But in fact, you are a writer, right? You've done various things for soundtracks, and certainly your arranging skills are are well known. I think there's a difference between arranging and writing, though. The creative process is a different kind of um, it's a different kind of spur. Haven't you uh, written soundtracks or, or uh, pieces? Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say soundtracks. <laughs> Internet incidental music. All right. Uh, but nothing that's, uh, I mean, you know, I don't even have an album's worth of original stuff that's worth listening to. You know, I've got some bits and bobs that I'm quite pleased with and proud of. But nothing that's going to um, make me a solo career, you know. And it is... Yet, quite, anyway, right? It, sorry? Yet. Yeah, well, yes, but like I said earlier, you know, my my motivation is not what it was now, because uh, I'm because I'm an old git now. And, uh, <laughs> Semi-retired. I, yeah, exactly. Semi-retired. That's the polite phrase. There you go. All right. Well, I will continue to to hope for that solo album, and well, I'll let other, other people call in. Hey, Todd. Thanks for calling in, man. Thanks for all the work you do on the MySpace page, too. Happy to do it. Thanks, You're Dan. The man. Thanks, Doug. Bye.
Right. Very good. All right, 619-402 and 617, I'll get right with you. I want to ask a question that came from the chat room a little while ago. There's a song called Blame the Weather, oh. and somebody was interested in a rumor that that was recovered in the trash and what Colin's role might be in that, that apparently is his favorite song and what kind of changes he may have done to it, if it's in fact true that y'all recovered that from the trash bins. I wouldn't go as far as to say we recovered it from the trash bin. It came out, uh, well, this was part of um, the sessions that produced uh, the English Settlement album, which was a double album. We had loads and loads of material, lots and lots of songs. Um, we had sort of six weeks to make, to, to write and record, uh, sorry, to record all this music. And so, uh, of course, then the, the, you know, the record company wanted B-sides. They wanted exclusive B-sides for singles. And Blame the Weather came out as a, a B-side to the first, I think it was on the 12-inch, the UK 12-inch version of Senses Working Overtime. There were two tracks on the B-side, one of which was Blame the Weather, the other was a song called Tissue Tigers. They were, uh, it's, I wouldn't say that it was res- rescued from the trash, it was just one that didn't make it onto the main body of the album. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was, it was actually released as, part, as a B-side of the first single. And it was, in fact, the first song that I recorded piano Apart from a little intro piece on uh, on the Black Sea record uh, for Respectable Street, the first first song that I'd actually uh, recorded a piano part for. Excellent. So there we go. The rumor is false, and <laughs> we got some good information about that. I appreciate it. Thanks for the question. That was Wheezy from the chat room. Six one nine. You are with us. You're with Dave Gregory, XTC. This is Rungan Radio. Hello, Dave. This is Jeff Trezzi. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Hello. Hello. And I've admired your talents for many years. I would have to say that. Um, although XDC is obviously built on the backbone of Colin and Andy as the writers, that you were the colorizer. Um, the the colorizer, you know. Colorizer, yes, yes, that's true. I'm, uh, well, I'm the sort of, I'm the source chef. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, I appreciated your work. I'm glad that Trevor from Australia already uh, talked to you about 1,000 Umbrellas, which was a fantastic piece of work. And I'm curious as to um, some of Andy's chords and harmony. Yes. Um, which are obviously rather unusual. Yes. And uh, your approach in dissecting them, I've uh, I've tried to dissect many of the songs myself, and of course it's quite a challenge. Yes, it is. But you know, you'd be surprised how technically simple a lot of it is. It's just unorthodox. So you know, if you were, I don't know what what instrument do you play? I'm a multi instrumentalist. Right. So you know about you know your way around a guitar. Right. So you know, in the way most of us guitar players think. Um, Andy has a completely different sort of attitude to it. You know, it's, it's more lateral thinking. Um, I can't actually say what it is other than it's very, very individual. And yet he doesn't really do anything... Uh, when you, You're talking about the chords. The shapes yes. of the chords are not technically hard to play, necessarily. They're just, they're just obviously... They're just not the way a normal guitar player, if I could use that right, <laughs> would approach the instrument. But it's always, it was always a challenge, and I'd just think, what are you doing there? Show me what you're doing, and he'd show it, and it'd be something so ridiculously simple. Oh, why didn't I think of that? And that's the question you're constantly asking. Why didn't I think of that? And of course, there's no answer to that, because that's his genius. You know, he's an original. He just, he just plucks this stuff out of the air. It finds its way onto the guitar, and the next thing you know, there's uh, another hit song. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, it was always challenging because it, you know it, it, it would throw you down avenues you'd never been, and you'd be thinking, 
you know, why this again? Why how, this is so obvious? You know what he's doing here, and yet it, would, it never occurred to me in a million years to to do what he's doing. But it was. But as you, as you got to be the person to dissect it, basically, and say turn it into you know a, a string arrangement or. Yeah. All this, you know. That's, that's right, but that, that's not underestimate uh, Andy's own compositional skills, because a lot of it, he, you know, he's, he's not—he's not a bad arranger himself. Mm. He does have quite a lot of that himself. But yes, yeah, certainly, um, actually, both Andy and Colin, it was—it was always challenging and, and always rewarding as well. You know, I always always felt good about having this uh, great raw material. I just—I mean, what a gift to have all that stuff, and there was so much of it. They well, you got you have quite a gift yourself, and I sure wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, be a little it whatsoever because it's very much appreciated by I think everyone that's appreciated XTC. Well, thank you, Jim. There you go. Hey, six one on here. Thank. You. Are you on the uh, XTC forum? Yes, I am. What, what's your username there? Jeff Trezzy. Okay, great. Appreciate your call. I've seen okay, you. Okay, thank man. you so much. Good stuff, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, <laughs> Jeff Trezzy from the XTC Chatter Forum. I've got to know a few of those guys over there uh, promoting these shows. I appreciate them coming on and making the phone calls. All right, very good. We've got area code 402. You're with us. Hello. Hello. I was just calling because I wanted to ask um, about the uh, Music War video. It looked like you guys were having a pretty good time on stage. Uh-huh. With the, with the police, and I know that there is a bootleg floating around. And you guys doing a show in Melbourne, I think, at the festival hall. Yeah. And I know that Virgin Records was sitting on uh, some of that footage for a while. I was wondering if there's been any development with that. And lastly, do you know what happened to Colin's demo for Mates? Ah, Mates. No, I don't. Probably, I may have a copy of it somewhere upstairs, you know, on a cassette. But um be honest with you, all the XTC demos have found, you know, they're all on sort of little crappy cassettes. Um, it's sitting in a trunk in my spare room. I haven't looked, I haven't dared open the trunk in years, so I don't know what's down there. You know, most of the useful stuff has, uh, has resurfaced and gone on various, um, you know, B-sides and compilations. And, of course, all Andy's demos came, or most of them came out on the Fuzzy Warble series. Um, but the song Mates, I don't know what happened to it. I can't even remember when, which album he, he wrote that for. I think it was Apple Venus. Oh, and was it after? Uh, I thought it was much earlier. Maybe he brought it, maybe he reintroduced it for Apple Venus. But I don't remember having heard it for, for many, many years. But it's, uh, there's quite a few little oddities of Collins that uh, haven't surfaced, because I think he opted out of the Fuzzy Warbles thing. I think he just let Andy get on with that. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, he, he does have a few little gems down there. Also, he didn't, he, he wasn't that uh, fussy about doing really smart demos. The demos right. were just ideas for songs, and he'd, he'd give it to us, and we'd work them up. And uh, it was, you know, I, I preferred that really because it was, you know, more for us, more work for us to think about and do. You know, it was it was more of a band project rather than, you know, Andy towards the end of things, you know, had all these demos. They were they were multi-tracks. This is how the song's going. These are the parts, blah, blah, blah. So it was less and less for me to do as time went on. Whereas with Colin, he was more more open to input from, from Andy and me. Yeah. But uh, as I say, I'm not quite sure what has happened to mates. Sorry, what was your original question? No, that was, that was the general question. Uh, the only other question I had is... Uh, 
I know that Colin was offered work with Pink Floyd when they were uh, getting back together without Roger Waters. Yeah. And I was wondering if you had any offers like that during your time in XTC, whether from bands or uh, returning to your job with White Arrow Parcels or... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm, I'm fortunate that I haven't had to return to my job with White Arrow Parcels. Yeah. But uh, it came close. Just to when me. you when you mentioned that you weren't having much work these days, it, yeah. I thought, well, that's hard to believe. But you know, you got to have an ace in the hole. Yeah, true. So, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it could still happen. No, I don't think actually working for White Arrow Parcels that's hard work. Don't, and let me tell you, because you have to uh, you're working on bonuses and you have to run like the wind to get your bonus. Royalties are much better. They are. They're much easier way yeah. of making a living. <laughs> His first question though was about the these videos. That, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, we are actually in the process of negotiating terms with Virgin Records to put the DVDs out. Uh, they want to put out a, a disc of DVDs of the official, um, you know, promotional films that we made back in the 70s and 80s for yeah. singles. Uh, once that's been sorted out, then I believe we can go ahead and source other television material and um, see if we can't put some of that out. I know that the because uh, there's, there's an awful lot of stuff that we were doing, you know, when when the band was still playing as a band, like you mentioned the Erg, the Erg Music War uh, performance. All that time we were going up around Europe doing TV shows and miming, television mimes and, and so on. So there's an awful, awful lot of that sitting around somewhere that we've never, ever seen. Um, yeah. And it'd be interesting to sort of go looking for it and see what's about, you know, and put together a really obscure collection of, of TV stuff, which I think it would be more entertaining than the official videos, because I have to be perfectly honest with you, um, I'm not crazy about them ever coming out. Well, would that happen then to include play at home or at the manor? Or? Uh, I don't know about those things. No, that, I'm not sure what... I, I imagine they still belong to the BBC. Uh, okay. not, not play at home. No, play at home belongs to uh, um, one of the production companies, uh, Channel 4. I can't remember who they called. I mean, it, there, there are bits of play at home that we could probably uh, use as, as part of a compilation. But as a as a as an entire hour long program, I don't really think it really stand up really. Well, because you're actually shown uh, demoing one of your own reel to reel demos in that. I am, aren't I? Yes, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> uh, yet another lost work in development. Right, right. So yeah. more royalties. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for calling in and with the Thank questions. You. We appreciate you. All right, very good. I got to move on. We got uh, a long line here, and Dave, we didn't talk about this. Are you going to be able to stay on for a while? Because you got yeah. a lot of people want to talk to you. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay, great, great. I've also got some questions from email, but I'm going to take some callers. Three hundred one. I see that you call back, so I appreciate you. We'll get to you in a minute. And six one seven. You're with us now. Hey, uh, this is Dan Stick Loomis calling from Boston. Dan Stick, what's up? Hi. Not too much. How are you doing? Hey, David. Hi. Uh, pleasure to speak with you. Um, it's like to have you on. Uh, uh, I actually suggested to Doug a few weeks ago, uh, see if you can get Dave on here, because Andy kept saying what a great memory you have for detail uh-huh. and, uh, and recollecting stories. So uh, thrilled to have you on here. I, I'm actually, I'd like to hear a little bit more stories about the Skylarking sessions. Mm-hmm. And, and specifically, I was wondering if you if you could recall, you know, what, what your, how your perception of, of Todd changed having worked with him. In other words, 
you know, beforehand, uh, and it said that it was, it was your sort of excitement about working with him that kind of took that first step. Yeah. Um, how did things change afterward? And, um, well, there's been a lot sort of there's been a lot written about their sort of bad vibes and everything in the studio, but really it was just between uh, Andy and Todd. It was just Andy for the first time in his life had sort of felt the uh, control of his songs and his project taken right. from him, or at least uh, uh, had somebody else. I mean, the thing is, it, I, I, my 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 uh, feelings about Todd didn't change at all. I mean, it was just sort of uh, he was just doing a, 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 the job he'd been paid to do. And he was doing it brilliantly. Um, uh, he, I think the problem with Andy was that uh, he was, for the first time in his life, getting a taste of his own medicine in a way. I hope that doesn't sound too uh, cruel or unkind, but he, he can be very a bit of a bully in the studio, which is fine. He's you know he's, he's, he needs he needs the stuff he needs to hear the stuff coming back the way he imagines it in his head. Uh, we all we're all you know quite happy about doing our best to please him as much as we can but he won't mm -hmm. uh, as I said before he's not happy about compromising a lot of the time right. so Todd again he had his vision of how this record was going to sound and he said and he was sort of you know laying the law down to Andy on occasions um, and suddenly you know this, you know, Andy thought well this isn't really um, this isn't really the way I like working <laughs> of course it wasn't right. cause no one had done that to him before Colin and I were quite used to it, so it didn't it didn't matter. And I mean, it was not uh, Todd was not a hard taskmaster. I, I can tell you, he's uh, you know he didn't pat you on the back. I won't say that, and he wasn't there as he said. It's, you know, I'm not here to baby you. We've got a job right. to do. Um, we were quite happy to do it, and uh, I was just I just knew that because there were a number of times in the recording process where we might come up against a brick wall where we didn't right. quite know what we were going to do, what, what part was needed for any particular song. Uh, one prime example of that is the song That's Really Super Supergirl, where we d weren't really sure about um, how we were going to record it and what elements were necessary. But we always knew that Todd had something up his sleeve. It was like, you know, well, look, you'll give us our head until we get stuck, and then he'll come and rescue us. I always knew that was the case. And, and true enough, that's what he did. Mm -hmm. um, things like um, uh, Sacrificial Bonfire, which was uh, just again just a few bare bones of a song, really, when it was uh, when we first started um, uh, rehearsing it. You know, that was basically that was the big sort of climax of the record with that huge string arrangement, and uh, we never envisaged we never we never envisaged that at all at the start of the sessions. That was really uh, that was Todd just just tying tying the album up as, as best he could and um it was just great to be it was it was always exciting he never knew what he was going to suggest it's like right. when he suggested the kid singing the opening line to dear god we thought that's, that's a bit twee you know that was that will never work that's not us you know it never worked right. and yet it was perfect it was the most perfect thing he could absolutely have thought. yeah and i'm sure probably you know helped sell sell the not only the song but the album as well and again, I, I met Todd recently, uh, a few years ago, and he came over here with Utopia. First time oh, really? I've seen him in 18 years. And I uh, went to see them play in Bristol. I went to meet him afterwards, and he was as nice as pie. Really, really, uh, it was a joy to see him, because I wasn't sure what sort of reception I was going to get, you know, because we right, had the right. best of That's great. So it was really um, a joy to see him. And, uh, and, and again, to hear him play as well, because the first time I'd actually seen him perform live in the flesh.
Right. So, you know, I have nothing but um, happy memories of uh, working with him, and I just feel incredibly privileged to have uh, had a record, been, been, been part of a record that he produced. That's great. I, I understand. I, I would imagine your perceptions of him as a barbecue chef might be <laughs> might have changed a little bit though over that session, huh? Ah, uh, yes, the barbecue. Well, no, actually, I think he wasn't bad at barbecuing. I seem to remember we. Uh, I remember we went to his house. He had his house in San Francisco, and uh, there was a party, and he had a barbecue out in the veranda. I've got a vague memory of that. It was a oh. solar barbecue. It might have been. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> um, yeah, but <laughs> no, I think it's, it was. Um, he even took us ten pin bowling. Can you believe? Oh, nice Woodstock. So you know, it wasn't all. Uh, it wasn't uh, by any means, um, uh, you know, a hard, a hard, a hard six weeks that we boot had. camp. Right, right, right. Yeah, there was, there was well, I, I missed the very beginning of the show, but I'm also curious to hear what you're working on these days, and if you're still working with Mike Keneally. No, no, we, Mike and I have never really collaborated on anything. We were just friends. We've been friends a long time. Uh, he came to England a few years ago, and uh, he came here for a, a weekend. He actually came to work with Andy, really, because I think they had oh, okay. strong ideas they wanted to flesh out. And uh, he was here, and we started noodling around with a few things. Oh, he was playing a show. That's right, he played a gig in Cardiff. Uh, a little um, in a tiny club in Cardiff, and we drove down, and uh, I joined him for. Uh, uh, yeah, we, he was, it was just a solo show. He was playing acoustic guitar and piano. He rented this Fender Rhodes piano that was literally falling apart. You know, the, it, I don't know where they got it from, but this is the problem. You know, Mike didn't have any money, and he couldn't sort of afford to fly his uh, full retinue over with him, so he was forced right. to work with rented gear. And he did a solo um, one-man show, basically, in which, in, incidentally, he covered a, um, a Todd song. He did... Uh, he sat at the Fender Roads and played uh, Song of a Viking. Viking, yeah. And it was just, I, I couldn't believe he did it. He just sat there wow. <laughs> and played this song and sang it. And it was just like, well, Mike, you never told me you were going to do this. <laughs> but we did right. go down that road, Dan, at the start of the show. So um, we do have some good scoop on Mike Keneally and what was going on. And okay, all well, I'll rewind then. Yeah. All right, hey, thanks so much, guys. Uh, pleasure to speak with you. Have a great day. Hey, Dan, I appreciate the suggestion to have these guys on, man. Good, good work. Okay. Hey, thanks for calling in from Boston. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right. Very good. We are looking for female callers. <laughs> if we have any out there, come We're on in. We're a bunch in. of lonely guys. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think they got scared away by a shark story that Andy shared with us. But oh, we'll he didn't tell you that story. Oh, for God's sake. But, yeah. 434, you're with us. Hey, it's Bill Bricker. Bricker, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm really enjoying this show. Uh, David, you sound like, to me, Doug's had a lot of guests on. You really, really sound like a Todd fan. I'm, I mean, you're I'm naming, one of his you're biggest you're naming these songs. I'm loving it. Yeah, well, thank you. It's, it's nice to share a conversation with fellow Todd fans. And just the fact that you have dedicated a radio station to him, that is just, it doesn't get any better than that. Hey, you've got to do it. Doug is doing a great thing. Um, I was interested about when you first got into Todd, uh, which, you know, what, album it was, what drugs are you in, and I think all the other things have, have been said, so that's my question, and I'll just stay and listen now. Okay, Thanks, well, my, I first heard him, uh, I'd, I'd seen his name as part of uh, this group called the Naz when I was a kid, and uh, I thought, that's a, you know, it's one of those names you never forget, you know, you, Todd Rundgren, lead guitar, it's just 
that's it. And then I didn't hear anything of the Naz until uh, much, much later. But then I was listening in the 70s, in the early 70s. I couldn't afford to buy records, so I used to tape everything. All my stuff was taped from the radio. The Sounds of the 70s, it was called here in England, on the BBC with Bob Harris. And he used to have guests musicians come in and do sessions you know much as they still do unplugged sessions and uh, you know live live broadcasts stuff like that so anyway he said well we've got Todd Rundgren coming in later he's done a, a recorded a session for us so I plugged the tape recorder in and uh, here's this guy coming on and he did a, a little spiel about um, similar to uh, the, the little thing on something anything sounds of the studio he did a similar type of thing to that where he was, um, he did a, a, a version of um, "I Saw the Light," and um, I can't remember. There was one other song I can't remember, but it, but you know, it wasn't just it wasn't a normal session. He was kind of being his own DJ in a way, you know, and he was claiming, "Oh, I, I can only play piano because I left all my instruments in my suitcase back at the hotel," and so he was just sort of camping it up, you know. And that was, and I thought, well, I like the sound of this guy, and he's a great song. He's a good songwriter, and he's a good singer. And he sounds like, you know, he's got good energy. I must check him out. Now, I never got round to hearing anything else for another two years. And I think the first record I heard all the way through was the Todd double album that my brother brought home. And um, I started listening to that, and I thought, oh, this, this is just uh, this is fantastic music. It's really, uh, you know, it was one of those double albums that I didn't like. I didn't like it from start to finish thought it probably would have worked better as a single album but then I didn't really understand at the time what Todd was about you know and his methods of working and how he likes to put as much music as he can on 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 his records and uh, that was really my introduction I so I suppose the Todd double album was was the big introduction and then a few years later when we were on the road with XTC in about 1980 we had um, a guy working on, on the sound a guy called Steve Warren he said to me, David, you've got to hear this new Todd Rundgren record, uh, Hermit of Mink Hollow. Um, I put it on, and uh, he, he loaned me a cassette of it while we were on the bus. And that was what tipped me over the edge. It was just, uh, I just thought, it's the most amazing collection of songs. And, of course, from that point on, I had to go back and buy everything. <laughs> so it took me, um, you know, for the rest of that tour, however, I used to come home loaded up with Todd Rundgren and Utopia records, and even stuff that he produced, you know. Because it's, like, it's funny, isn't it, how... You can be aware of an artist, um, and they're sort of on the back burner until something tips you over the uh, over the over the top of the cooker, and you're, yeah, you're sounds awfully familiar. Up. Yes, happens. Yeah, a there's lot. a lot of gold in there. You can go back in and dig back up. Oh my goodness, yeah, absolutely, there is. And and uh, I've had a similar thing with Bob Dylan as well, because that's a much bigger catalogue to go back over. But um, you know, it's sort of um, it is. It's great to have to know that that stuff's out there. Uh, and you don't have to wait a year until the next record comes out. You know, you could just. Uh, uh, well, that's okay. that's why we keep uh, people keep asking why do we do this stuff. Doug works real hard, and I work hard to put Todd and Rolling Stone. And people ask me why do I do it. It's like because the stuff is there and nobody knows. Exactly. So that's, I'm just that's very. Right. I'm I'm very thrilled that you're on the show and that uh, you. I just thank you for bringing. I think it was you who said, "Yeah, we got to get Todd to do this record." So. I was as soon as I heard he was in the loop. I, it was just there was no there were no other names were important. I just this is our one opportunity, guys. Please let's let's go and work with him. Let's get, just go and meet him. We had actually met him once before before the actual because um, he actually showed up in our dressing room. We were in Chicago uh, playing at the Park West, 
1981, and the tour manager came in and said, uh, smarten yourselves up, guys, uh, Todd Rundgren wants to see you. And we said, what, are you, <laughs> are you kidding? And sure enough, there he was, large as life in our dressing room, and uh, we just thought, wow, this is Ama- this America place is amazing. It's, you just yeah, never know what you're going to find. Too. I can remember when he had he wore an XTC uh, button on his shirt back in the early days. Did um, he? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's, there's pictures of him all around with Adventures Utopia times. He's got an XTC button on his shirt. Fantastic. It's true. So hey. i gotta get that. I got to get a little bit that other people get in here, but look Thanks, up Bill. that tape. Find that tape that you were talking about <laughs> that you heard. I, I, would I wish I still had it. Make it happen. All right. All right. Bill, thanks for calling you, man. we got to go because i got an international call, believe. In 301, I apologize. I'm going to bump you, and then I'm going to come back because I know you've been on hold for a while. I apologize. But I can tell this is international, so if you are international, speak up. Hello. 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 It's you. Oh, hi. You have a woman calling finally. Yay! Hooray! This is Wheezy calling. I post on the XTC board. Hey. Hello. Hi. Hi, Dave and Doug. Um, I'm just calling to say, Dave, I don't know if you remember, but um, I met you when XTC were in town for the Casby Awards. Oh, my goodness. And I met you through June and Peter from the Little Express. Uh-huh. I used to write for the fanzine, and uh, we went out to Chinese food dinner. Uh, uh, you and Andy and June and Peter and a few other people. But uh, yeah, I just wanted nice. to say that you were very gracious, and it was a real pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you so much. And it was, uh, I'm sure it was a lovely evening. I know we had some problems in Canada at the time, didn't we? With, uh... You sure did. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that, actually. <laughs> did Andy bring that up when he was talking? I doubt if Andy spoke about that. But no. There no, was some... Yeah, a little bit of difficulty with one of the local papers because Andy was a little indiscreet about um, something he'd said about something. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Yeah. But uh, I think we probably got out of there with our, well, with our lives. <laughs> Weezy, where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, Toronto, actually. Oh, okay. Toronto, so it is international. All right, yeah. very good. Canada, oh Canada, you don't sound like a Canadian. I don't sound like a Canadian. No. Oh well. Say, I am. say about for me. <laughs> Sorry. Say about, the word about. About. There you go. Uh-huh. Hello, Canada. So what is it that Andy said over there? Do you uh, Can you share? Um, I think, I think. well, if Dave's not sure, what my recollection is is that uh, that XTC were brought on to do at least one live song, uh-huh. and I think what happened was the expectation was that, that they would present an award as well, yes. which I think Andy wasn't happy about. I guess mm-hmm. that wasn't clearly expressed or whatever. Yeah. So. Well, of course, the thing was that he didn't want to go in the first place because he <laughs> thought it was going to be something like the... Um, well, he just hates award shows. In fact, none of us are big fans of award shows, but we didn't understand what the Casby thing was all about. It was basically, a, you know, it was like um, a fans, fans award. It was something that uh, was voted for by the people. It wasn't an industry thing. Um, so we'd been... Uh, sort of, you know, guests of honor at this um, award show that was being televised. And I think that because Andy assumed it was televised, that it was some kind of big industry uh, shindig that, uh, you know, he'd, and he didn't want anything to do with it. Um, then, of course, when they asked him if he'd present an award, and he didn't have a clue who he was presenting the award to and everything, he started uh, saying, you know, well, it was just, it just all, you know... He, <laughs> It he went south he from there. <laughs> he, but he, he didn't uh, exactly um, yeah. 
give the give a lot of kudos to the show. I don't think we really understood what it was. And I don't think we any of us really understood what the show was about. As far as we were concerned, it was you know just a bit more promotion. It was part of their job. And we were going over to do a bit of television and take part in this event. It was nothing, uh, you know, and it was better than sitting at home in Swindon twiddling our thumbs. Why not go over there? That's too the communication. It's too bad y'all didn't know because he might have been in a better mood about it. Well, would, would you say, Dave, that it was misrepresented to you, or would you say that it was just things changed, or or what? Uh, we only really found out what the. Uh, I think yes, maybe it was misrepresented because okay. we just assumed it was going to be one of these industry because th- it's like I. I have to be perfectly honest, I don't like seeing any of these, um, even the Oscars I find a little bit off-putting. It's yeah. just a whole bunch of overpaid people patting each other on the back. Yeah, try the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's the worst thing ever. Oh, well, yeah, <sighs> sorry, just, uh, I, I can't, it's just made me shudder. And, um, you know, and it's just like, and I, I maybe we're just being a bit, too precious about not wanting to get involved with the sort of people who find that stuff important, and um, you know, I, I, it's it, 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 I'm, I'm kind of uneasy about it personally, and I know Andy is certainly. So maybe that's what it was. We, it was just seen. He, he probably saw it as uh, just a, another industry. Industry. Yeah, he's, not, he's not real happy with, uh, you know, the music industry folks too much based no, on what I could well, tell. And no. that's what Fuzzy Warbles is all about, I believe. Of course, of course. Yeah, very good. Hey, Wade, thanks for being our first email comment. caller. Do you have another question? I just wanted to make one other comment, and that sure. was the other thing, Doug, that I re- or Dave, that I remember about it was that um, I think Andy had to write some sort of handwritten apology that got distributed to all all of the attendees of the awards because I had a, a ticket for the awards and I remember when I went to my seat there was this piece of paper sitting there in Andy's writing you know wow. that was photocopied lector's item I'd forgotten that yeah yeah I still have it I still have that I think well hang on to it you know because yeah it might be worth you can dine out on that story <laughs> anyway thank you very much it was a pleasure thanks for calling nice to talk to you okay bye thanks Weezy all bye. right got a female action okay. Poor 301 has been on hold for a long time, so we're going to finally let 301 on. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hi, uh, this, how you all so good by the name of J.D.? How are you doing, Dave? Hello, J.D. Yes, I think you J.D. Mac. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you see? Yes, I am. Never forget a face. <laughs> Since I have, Okay, well, oh, wow, that's really great. I'm, I'm flattered that you know who I am. Um, I was trying to think of something to ask you that might not be covered by anybody else. Uh, there's a song uh, called Dates by R. Stevie Moore. Oh, yeah. That you provided basically the instrumental tracking and backing vocals on. And I really love that song. It's a really great recording. Um, I was wondering how that came about. Well, Stevie is a great... I mean, you should really... Uh, yeah, we should big up Stevie here on this show because so he's worthy of attention, is Steve. And uh, again, he's a guy completely outside the normal... Um, uh, you know, music industry. He's uh, the man who records all his records at home on a tape recorder. Uh, what comes out of that tape recorder, you never know what's going to come out of it. It might be, you know, something that you could play on the radio or it might be something, the sound of, um, I don't know, an engineer's test signal or something badly recorded with static and God knows what. You just never know what Stevie's going to bring you next. And we got sort of involved, I can't remember, I think it was through Mitch Friedman that we uh, we were introduced Mitch had sent me some of his uh, recordings, you know, a sort of best of on a compilation tape. 
And I thought, yeah, I can, I can hear this where this guy's coming from, what he's doing here. He's really, really entertaining. But he's never going to be, uh, um, you know, he's never going to have a huge audience because he doesn't take enough time and trouble over the recording process. It's, you know, you, you have to work to get into Stevie's music. And uh, Stevie's not shy about coming forward and uh, inviting people to collaborate, you know, especially if they're, if they if they have a name or they're, they're, if they're known. So, and, he's, and, I, and I was more than happy to sort of just, you know, just find a bit, out a bit more about the guy because I just found him really entertaining. So he suggested, um, uh, you know, he wanted to, I think he asked me if I'd either provide a, uh, he wanted to do, a, that's right, he wanted to collaborate on a song and um, he, I'm not sure what, I can't remember how it actually came about, but, out of all these demos that I think Mitch Friedman had sent me, and I think Steve had sent a bunch over as well, I thought, well, I'd go for one of the songs that he's at least least known for, one that probably hasn't been, you know, worked up properly. And uh, I heard this song date. <laughs> the original version was, well, you know, it'd be kind to call it cacophonous, <laughs> but you could hear what what was great about it, you know, where he was going. I don't know what he'd been drinking when he recorded it, but. You know, there was something there, and it had a lot of really interesting little parts and some great chord changes, fantastic chord changes and inversions and stuff. And I thought, you know, we should uh, maybe I should maybe I should really um, you know put some thought into this because I think we could go somewhere with it. And basically, it was like a remolds project in a way, as we were talking about earlier, and um, where I just sort of have this need to create something without necessarily having the responsibility of writing it. It was a perfect remold project. So I thought, you know, just for a laugh, I'd stitch on the, um, I'd program the drum intro to Making Plans for Nigel at the start of it as a sort of a, a little trademark, an identifying badge, mm-hmm. and uh, because it was a similar, and then sort of keep that groove going and then put Stevie's chords and his melody over the top. And it, it's basically this, this, um, it's a song about kind of, you know, frustration of relationships and trying to make the connection and all the rest of it. And uh, <laughs> it just all resonated with me. And yeah. so, uh, but, it, but really what it was, it was just the, um, it's, it's a great little piece of music, really good melody, some great changes, some fantastic changes. And, and, this, and, it's, and it's funny, which is rare. You know, it's rare that a, a, a rock track is, actually can make you laugh. I mean, I love the song, and you know, the first time I heard it, in, in addition to the Nigel thing, and I thought, you know, wow, it, you know, it sounds like our Stevie Moore's really an XTC fan. Then I found out, I think that song was written in 1976. Uh, I think, yes, <laughs> it, it really was. It surprised me. So I said, okay, I guess it's not directly influenced that way. But um, no, he'd, he'd written it. Uh, I'm sure, if it wasn't even earlier than that, it might even have been 73. No, it probably was 76. I can't remember which of his many, many, many cassette albums it came from, but. Uh, um, he was definitely uh, he was channeling something at the time because I, I do think it's a, a great bit of composition. Uh, one other thing before I let some other people on, this is uh, a request more than a question. Um, wherever you get to with Virgin Records and negotiating this thing and that thing, I would just about kill to have oranges and lemons as a 5.1 surround sound mix. I don't know if that's even remotely possible in the future or not. Well, um, we are going to be, uh, let me see now, I'm trying to think what the situation is likely to be. I don't know, I I think it's been left. If we want 5.1 surround sound mixes of stuff, we have to pay for it. 
and I think they may well allow us to do it, but we are going to have to fund it, so that's going to have to be discussed, because uh, obviously I don't know what the actual market is for 5.1 surround sound, but I agree with you that of all our records, because it has probably uh, the most detail in it, there's more overdubs, I think, on that record than there are on any of the others, and it probably would benefit from a, a mix of that of that sort. But, you know, I'm, I'm still... I'm still enjoying mono, so don't look to me for it. People will pay for the 5.1. Some will. Yeah. So. Well, thanks very much for talking with me, Dave. Nice meeting you, J.D. Right. J.D., thanks for calling in from 301-614-770-402 and 416. I've got you. We'll get to you in a second. And also, we're going to try to get in RAI's question. Well, let's go to 614 first. Hopefully, Dave, you can hang with us for a little while. You're a popular guy today. Thank you. Howdy. All right. 614, you're with us. Howdy, fellas. Can you hear me all right? Howdy, sure can. Howdy, all right. This is Ivan A. Padovich on the forums. Howdy to everybody on the XTC forums. A lot of brilliant people there. Mr. Gregory, it's such a privilege to get to talk to you, buddy. You have no idea what an impact you've had on my own work and, and so much. I'm so grateful to you for that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. And, and I know you were hurting for female callers, and so i got to apologize. <laughs> After my recent surgery in Denmark, I'm no longer a woman. So... <laughs> I apologize for that. And another thing, it, it's a sin against nature, buddy, that you, with with the, the skills and the quality of your work, that you're not just busy in a pair of jumper cables at a West Virginia wedding. It's just <laughs> more work, more work. Tans demand it. Suit up, lad. More work. Well, so. thank, you, thank you very much. You're so kind. I can't uh, work that I'm always, as I said earlier, it's just, I think part of the problem is I probably could work, but I just want to do the stuff that I enjoy doing now, you know, because it is. Otherwise, it's real hard work. Real well, you've, hard. you've earned the right, brother. You've earned the right. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be brushing along. I just don't want to hog the time for the other callers. Um, a couple questions, if I could, please. Um, number one. Andy had mentioned that there was a Mellotron at uh, Woodstock that was in a bit of disrepair that you were able to get happening again. Do you have any memories of that at all? Yeah, it wasn't a Mellotron. It was a Chamberlain. Chamberlain, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Chamberlain. Yes, it was, uh, it was Todd's Chamberlain. It was, uh, <laughs> we did actually get it working, and we used it on a song called Dying on the Skylarking record. There's a little mm -hmm. um, a clarinet. That's the clarinet bit, yeah. Yeah. I think we might have used it. That's the one thing I remember. We might have used it on something else. But I do, yeah, he probably told you the story when this thing was sort of in the corner of the, in the back of the this log cabin, which was the studio. And um, it was actually, um, you know, some, some mice had been nesting in it. It hadn't been looked at in such a long time. And when we dragged it out, you know, there was, there was all this hay in the bottom of the, uh, of the cabinet. So that had to be sort of swept out. And then it was a question of, you know, dare we plug this thing in? What, because is it going to catch fire? Are we going to get electrocuted? Well, no, we didn't. We got it working, and uh, it was just, again, getting the top off that was a revelation, because we already we knew how a Mellotron operated. We'd seen inside our own Mellotron time and again, you know, because they're pretty high maintenance. But we'd never seen this system of, you know, where they, they had these tapes wrapped around a sort of drum. And... Um, you know, it was a real sort of, real Heath Robinson construction. Mm. It was obviously a precursor to the Mellotron. Mellotron actually probably simplified the system and uh, used this flywheel system instead That's of the right. drum. But, uh, right, right. you know, we did, we tweaked around with a bunch of screwdrivers and actually got it working. And, uh, you know, it's fun. It was just, that was all part of the fun part of making that record. Let's mm. dig out some stuff that nobody's, nobody has any interest in and hasn't listened to for many, many years. It's as a place on this record. 
I'll be doggone. That's beautiful. And also, um, I'm, I'm a kind of a pseudo drummer, and I was curious, uh, by your own educated opinion, uh, if there were any standout differences for you between, you know, Prairie and Mastelotto and those other guys that you had worked with. Yeah, they, well, they all actually. We've been so lucky. That I, all the drummers we used have uh, were great. They were really, really good, all of them. Um, but they all bring something slightly different to the table, and you just think, well, you know, it's just we just need a guy to hit the pots and pans. But there's a bit more to it than that. You know, they all have personalities. Um, sure. There's nothing really. Um, I, you know, I think the great thing about, as I said before, having this wide-ranging and very original sounding raw material and I'm talking about Andy and Colin's songs it inspires you to do um, good work so the drummers never had to be never had to bully any of the drummers they just fell into the grooves of these songs and just did did their did their gig um, and luckily it was the right gig and they just sort of I don't think anyone um, you know is ever going to blame any of the drummers because an album didn't sell they they all didn't they worked incredibly. Of course, I have to say, Andy's really tough on drummers. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, yes. No, he puts them through their paces, and I think that maybe that sort of, you know, sharpened their metal, as it were, and ah. made them, made them perform as well as they did. Because well, he's very, um, he's got a great innate sense of rhythm, and he's very. He'll say, "No, don't put that beat there. Just why don't you come down on on three instead of two in this part here?" And uh, you think, "Well, that's never going to work, is it?" And then you listen to it. Oh, I see what he's getting at. <laughs> Little odd things like that. And again, cymbal crashes, really, you, you, you never put them in the place you expect to find them. Mm-hmm. It, I think a lot of it came from listening to a lot of dub reggae, a lot of Jamaican music he was into for a while uh, in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. So he's a lot of that in his subconscious. Fascinating. Yeah. But he's, look, a, great, uh, he's a great rhythm man, Andy. You know, he's, he's got, he knows a groove. You can tell that. You can definitely tell that in, in his work. One more quick question, and I'm going to get out of everybody's way. Um, and no, Doug, I'm not going to ask how many points he got in 16 Magazine, but what I'm curious about <laughs> is, um, have you have any new additions to your guitar collection by any chance? Well, I haven't been buying guitars, no, I think, just, well, I have enough guitars, you know, I've got too many guitars, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I haven't bought any this year, uh, I can't remember when the last one, I think I, I think about a year ago, not in the last year, anyway, I'm just trying to think if I did buy anything. But um, I'll give you, I don't know whether whether you're into, um, you know, sort of, because people have so many, everyone has their own opinions about what a good guitar is and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did find, what I have been finding, um, a, a sort of, um, these, a Fender, these, these guitar, Fender guitars that are made in Korea now, really fantastic quality, and some mm. of them sound amazing. And the last, I bought this thing called the Fender Esquire Custom GT, which mm, just heard of it. a single pickup on it. It's right. mahogany, it has a glued-in neck. It's made of mahogany, it has a, a carved top, very much like a Les Paul Jr. Mm. And um, has this massive Seymour Duncan Invader pickup on it. And, yeah. and that sounds quite a great guitar, you know, and they're, they're not expensive. I don't think they make them anymore, but if you can find them, um, they're definitely worth checking out. Big, big, huge jumbo frets in them, so they're nice and easy to play. And I have one with the with the Invader pickup, and then I put a, a TV Jones Filtertron in, in another one that I bought, so that it sounds like a solid body Gretsch. And that ah, guitar, very really, cool. really good. Very cool. But apart, but uh, you know, apart from those, they're, they're the last things I've bought. But uh, you know, I really, 
I've, I've been indulging myself, overindulging myself with guitar purchases over the years. And, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I don't well, need any more. Uh, under, I understand. Very cool. You got some beautiful ones. Fellas, I'm getting out of your way. Thank you both so very much. You guys are beautiful. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. It's hey, Ivan, thanks for calling in. And I hear you're a better drummer than you're leading on to believe. And you got oh, the well, YouTube video that's supposed to be pretty popular. So, Oh, well, whoever said right. that is too kind. And uh, I do appreciate that very much. You guys have a great day, all right? Thanks. All right. Thank you. YouTube, Sam, crazy drummer. If you want to see Ivan the suit. Oh my God! Whatever that means. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the French for you. Don't don't even get me started. All right, yeah. Have a good one, Thank see you, fellas. You too. Thanks. Bye bye. Peace out. All right, so here we go. We got a caller from Atlanta. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hey, this is Mike Versace. How are you? Oh, Mike. Hello. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank good. you. Very well. Uh, great to talk to you. Um, I, you know, I've been listening for about the last 40 minutes, I guess. Uh, Todd told me to give you a call and say hi and ask a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was you've often been described as a virtuoso, and I'm certain that you're probably not too comfortable with that label, although probably flattered as well. And one of the things that I think about is um, I think people are always impressed by your versatility and your ability to emulate and embrace other styles and introduce your own take on, on different styles. And I'm wondering if you've ever been just completely frustrated by a particular player that you wanted to try to play one of his or her parts or try to, you know, get that style. And, and you know, who, who, who would that guitarist be? Yeah, now that's interesting because um, I always love, I've always, I'm always chasing sounds, you know, and it's like ever since I started playing guitar, it was really uh, the British blues players that got me started. It was the sound they got from their instruments. Um, and even though I've now got some, you know, I've got old Les Pauls and uh, a whole bunch of Gibsons and Fenders and stuff, and yet I've, and I, I always think that I've got, get, I've, I've got the sounds at my disposal now. The sounds like, I, I, you know, I listen to Mick Taylor nowadays. I got, got into him a couple of years ago, just revisiting all the stuff he did with John Mayle. What a fantastic sounding instrument he had. It was just... His style of playing was just beautiful. I thought, well, you know, this, surely there's not any reason why I shouldn't sound like that now. I've got the equipment here. I've, you know, I've learned to play a bit. All I have to do is copy his mix. His guitar sounds like this. Yes, yes, yes. And yet I'm a million miles away from his sound. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with when you try and copy people, most of the sound comes from the fingers and the brain, you know, and that's what you're stuck with, for better or for worse. Um, the same with Jeff Beck, you know. I mean, if you ever try to copy his sound, you can, you can, you can dial up the, the tones and um, they're, they're right under your fingertips. But then when you start playing, you know, you don't really sound like Jeff Beck. You've got this, an instrument that's sort of working in the same sonic area, but you don't have his hands, you don't have his ears, you don't have his brain. You're not going to sound like him. It is extraordinary what what constitutes music. You know how how music is created by an individual, and it's only only gift given to that one individual, that particular sound. And though you can get close to their styles and their sounds, you're never going to be you're never going to be that good at being that person. And I, yeah, I comfort myself with, by saying, well, you know, I do what I do, and no one else on the planet does Dave Gregory like Dave does. <laughs> I, I would, I would definitely agree with that comment. And <laughs> I would say that it's interesting that you said that the way that you did, because um, 
I've now watched a, a couple of those classic album DVDs, mm-hmm. and they're really wonderful productions. And um, one of my favorite ones was the one that they did on the dark side of the moon. And I was sitting there watching, you know, with my brother, who's also a musician, and my wife. And um, I can't recall his name at the moment because I'm on the phone and I'm not thinking. But the keyboard player for Pink Floyd, you know, 25 years later, sat down at the piano and played the intro to Us and Them. Yep. And it sounded like him. Of course. You know, you could get a thousand keyboard players who are as good or better, depending on what you know, uh, what what criteria used to judge them. But he has that particular way that he plays his song, and it just it just sounded so great, just him and the piano. So I I I think you're right on the money with that. And the only other thing I wanted to just ask you about was that um, you know you mentioned you know blues players and things, and I so. You know, there's so many guitar players out there, uh-huh. um, but every once in a while, somebody comes along that just, just seems to take over, and for me, currently, that's Derek Trucks of the Allman Brothers. I'd, I'd heard, you know, some years back that they invited him into the band, and I thought it was just nepotism, Yes. you know, and then I heard him play, oh my and I, I just think he's absolutely incredible. I was fortunate enough to see him play in London a couple of years ago, and I was just, my, my jaw was on the floor. And, um, you know, and I expect you've probably got the Songlines DVD, uh, but that is a fantastic... I never get tired of watching it and listen to him play. And you just sort of, again, how do you get that good in such a short space of time? You know, that's something that's God-given. That's something that's unique to Derek Trucks. And uh, he's just... Uh, I mean, just playing slide guitar is difficult enough but to do it to that degree and just to play it so cleanly and and with such feeling such amazing feeling yeah the feeling it's like where do these solos come from so many guitar solos are are quite frankly boring you know (laughs) you know four, four or eight bars is enough but you you watch him play dreams and he solos you know for what like 128 bars or something and it's just beautiful it's it never like, gets boring does it you just he just takes you with him yeah where did and you look at him and he looks like he's in some kind of zen place like yes. my wife and i joked that the allman brothers went to planet guitar <laughs> you know and recruited him he's just brilliant but anyway dave it's it's really a pleasure um you know we we still listen to your records all the time and you know wish that wish that things had continued in the direction but let me just say for myself and many xtc fans just the incredible wealth of material and the consistency of the records you know from drums and wires all the way to the end in my opinion is unrivaled by anyone else i've just never heard you know 12 13 14 studio albums one after another being brilliant and and that, that's a legacy that you know that's that's just unrivaled well thank so you thank Mike. that's that's really that's very gratifying to hear that and uh, well, thanks very much for your kind words and uh, thank you, Dave. You take care of yourself. You too, mate. Hey, thanks okay, for bye. calling in. Hey, um, uh, based on that conversation, somebody in the chat room wanted, wanted me to mention the name Peter Green. Oh, yeah. I love Peter Green. Peter is just, um, again, it's such a tragedy what happened to him. And, uh, and I know I shouldn't talk in the past tense about him because he's actually in quite good shape now. You know, he's, uh, he's out playing and he's got his life back. But, you know, it's just, I listen to, I've got a whole bunch of outtakes from those early Fleetwood Mac records, and I think, you know, they're quite well distributed, circulated now. Um, even the stuff that didn't make it onto record, you know, you just hear this guitar, it's just coming from another place. It's not, um, nothing flash or 
really outwardly demonstrative about it. He's just communicating a feeling, and it's all, it's just like someone listening to the most perfect speech you ever heard, somebody talking to you about a subject close to your heart that you can absolutely sympathize with. Um, and, and again, sound of the guitar, the, the touch of his fingers, it's just all, it's just communicating a feeling. And uh, he really is one of the great blues players of all time. Excellent. Okay, so we got a call from 402. Hello. Hello. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Hello, another lady. How nice to talk to you. <laughs> um, how are you doing? We're doing well. Fantastic. Okay, well, I have a question about the song Pale and Precious. Oh, yeah. Um, in the book, Song Stories, you said that it shouldn't have been a Duke song. So my first question is why? And then my next question is, where would you have put it in an XTC catalog? Ooh, that's a, that's a hard couple of questions. Well, no, I, I didn't necessarily um, mean to uh, denigrate the Dukes by saying that it shouldn't have been a Duke song. I just thought maybe it could have done with a slightly more serious treatment. It would have worked beautifully, um, uh, well, I suppose on Oranges and Lemons, perhaps where, where Chalk Hills and Children is. Well, but then again, that's got Chalk Hills and Children on it. But it's coming from a similar place. And, um, uh, you know, it is actually... Listen, I listened to Sonic Sunspot recently, a couple of, years, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I haven't heard it for a long time. And I thought, yes, this is a, a lovely, lovely song. Uh, perhaps if we'd just spent a little more time and care over it, it could have been one of our, you know, one of an XTC classic moment. Uh, but even so, a Duke's classic moment comes a close second. Yeah. So I'm happy that we did it, and uh, it is what it is, and it's a beautiful little song. All right, well, thank you very much. It was nice talking um, to you. Um, nice, to, nice to hear Thanks. from you, too. That's all we get from the female representation is one question. They're so nice. <laughs> you don't have any other questions? Um, not really. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually can come up with one. How was um, touring with when you were doing your touring years? Do you have any... Memories, you know, you did it with the police, you did it with the cars. So, do you have any, you know, great fond memories of that, even though it was kind of short-lived? Well, it was uh, actually you say it was short-lived. It was uh, it went on for a few years. <laughs> we were kind of exhausted. Well, not as long-lived as it possibly could have been. That's but. true. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, truncated somewhat prematurely. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's like. Um, always look forward to touring, you know, and you look forward to rehearsing and rehearsing a new set and getting on stage. And the first couple of weeks, it's fantastic because the audience is a little bit, there's a few more people come to see you than there were on the previous tour. Everything's going nicely. And then after, after about a fortnight, it's, it starts to feel like hard work. And you start missing home and you start thinking, oh, mm. no, we've got to play again tonight. Oh, no, I don't really. I'd rather be uh, doing something. I'd rather be watching TV or I'd rather go to the movies or something like that. So, you know, when it stops being fun and starts being work, it's not fun, you know. And these long six-week tours are really uh, just, for, just for young bands who are young and daft enough to do it and who still want to do it, you know. So it's easy to see why musicians um, go a bit wobbly on when they've been on the road for a long time. Sure, sure. But um, do you have any great memories of it? <laughs> well, it's always great playing, and, and it's the people you meet on the road, you know, especially abroad. It's like how we met Todd for the first time. He just showed up. We didn't know he was coming to see us. We didn't even know he would have had a clue who we were. And um, next thing we know, we've got this man in our dressing room laughing at our rider, I might add. <laughs> what was on it that was so funny? Nothing. <laughs> I think there were a few crumbs of bread and half a tin of warm beer. 
That's it, huh? I think she's fishing for like a uh, a wild story, like a tour bus story, oh, I want to hear or some, some hotel story or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Am I right? Yes. yes. There you go. Let's <laughs> get to it. We know it's something juicy. Yeah, some juice. Yes, yes. No, I think we'd better uh, draw a discreet <laughs> veil over the story. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you anyway. Nice, nice to talk, talk to you. you. Hey, thanks a lot for calling. All right. Very good. Okay, we got a call from 416. Okay. Hi, honey. Thank you so much for answering my call so swiftly. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Sir, I think you're amazing. And you look really good in your picture. And I love the green guitar. Awesome. Can we do a, a quick song, just like a little hamadou and himadidi? Like a, I swear, I won't take up your whole show, just a little bit. What's it about? Oh, well, listen, I don't know. We'll just play it along and do it as we go. You can sing along too if you want, world. <laughs> Everybody, sing along, okay? Doing one world. I like it. David, what do you get? One, one through ten, how do you grade that song? Uh, I couldn't hear the words. <laughs> I don't know if there was any. Oh, goodness. What about the guitar playing? That's okay. Yeah, yeah pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, Very yeah. good. All right, that's yeah. our first free promotion call. I like that. By the way, Todd had called in. He's uh, real helpful with y'all's website on MySpace. It's myspace.com backslash XTCfans. Mm-hmm. And that is a good MySpace page if you haven't checked it out. Our MySpace page is backslash Rungren Radio. If you want to sign up and be our friend. All right, so I'm going to ask you a few questions here. I finally get to say something. It's been a while. <laughs> I like it, though, when people call in. It's great. We appreciate everybody that's done it. You can still call in. We've got a few more minutes if you want, 646-716-9262. But I have some email questions, and I want to start with my friend, R-A-I. She is over in the U.K., and she is dying to know, if you could put together a fantasy band, who would be your... Bandmates. Yeah. Or, or you mean a fantasy band that I was in? Yeah. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who would you want to play with in a fantasy band? Or you could do one where you do both. Yeah. What the oh, oh th- you know what? I think I'd need notice of this question because <laughs> the thing is, there's just uh, there's so many fantastic players out there, but you never know until they get them in a room how they're going to perform, how they're going to get on with each other. And, um, you know, the, the, the most amazing bunch of, group of musicians can uh, often make the worst band, you know. But um, I don't really, I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, I've worked with some of the best musicians. You know, some of my heroes I've actually worked with, uh, you know, like, like Todd himself, you know. And, um, and look, the drummers that we've played with, like Dave Mattox, for example, who would ever have imagined that we'd have done a, I'd have done a record with Fairport Convention's drummer? And he's, he's just fantastic playing with him. It's a real joy to play with a drummer like that. Uh, someone who's sort of... Um, but I don't really... Um, I would seriously have to think very carefully about uh, who my ideal band would be. And I mean, really, I don't... Um, I've already kind of 
done the... I was in XTC. You know? There you Where go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just likes to ask those hard questions. I've got an easy one for you. This one is from our friend who calls in named Cruiser Mail. She also helps with the show, and she got this thing going a long time ago, and we just have to ask everybody. She is supposedly going to write a book about this. She wants to know, when you were on tour, how you cleaned your laundry. Ah. Well, I was quite... Uh, well, we used to take... Um, well, I can only speak for myself. Uh, I'd take a big, uh, like a, uh, a plastic bag that you'd get from a, a department store. You know, if you bought a coat from a department store, you always get a big plastic bag. I'd take one of those, I'd throw all my laundry uh, into it, you know, until it was full up with soaking, stinking, sweaty, sweat-sodden shirts and underpants and socks. And uh, then I'd seal the bag up, you know, in the suitcase until I ran out of clothes. But, of course, most of the hotels you go to, they have a laundry service, or they have their own... Um, uh, I seem to remember most of the Howard Johnson's hotels, where, where we were, we were staying most of the time, had their own laundry rooms. Mm-hmm. So you could go down into the uh, basement of the hotel, and there'd be half a dozen machines there sitting in, in the... And uh, you just fill up with... Uh, basically, you just waited until you got to a hotel that had a laundry room. Uh, because, of course, you couldn't send it to a dry cleaner because it would take too long to get back and you'd be out of town by the time it was cleaned. <laughs> so, so it wasn't it, too it, hard. That was a problem. Yeah. And sometimes, um, you know, if you if you ran out of shirts, you could take a hairdryer to a shirt and dry it dry it off and wear it. You know, no one's going to come up on stage and smell it. Mm-hmm. So you could get away with that. I didn't like doing that, though. I'd rather have, a, you know, rather have clean clothes to go on stage in. Gotcha. That's but it was, it's always a problem, no question about it. Yeah. You couldn't put that on your rider for somebody to clean your clothes, I guess, huh? Uh, never thought about it. <laughs> so I think it's just all food and water and stuff, I guess, maybe. Pretty much, yeah. But, you know, is, is, if the band's uh, popular enough, you probably could get away with something like that. Yeah. Um, somebody also wanted to know, they wanted you to elaborate a little bit on your home recording studio setup. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, I say it's not really a studio. It's the baby room of my house. It's a mm-hmm. tiny little room. I've got an old Mackie mixer in there, 16-channel 16, 16 mixer, and a radar recorder. It's an old um, Otari radar from the early 90s. I think, actually, it's the actual radar that XTC recorded um, Wasp Star on. I'm not sure. I, I bought it from Nick Davis, who was the uh, co-producer and engineer on the Wasp Star record. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he did a Genesis album on it, but it's a 24-track digital recorder, and it works just like an analog tape machine. You have a separate panel with, you know, shuttle buttons, start, stop, record, plus all the wonderful, wonderful digital editing benefits that you get with, uh, you know, Pro Tools and any any digital recording computer. Mm-hmm. It's basically a PC, but it's laid out like a tape recorder, and it's uh, you can see from a screen, you know, you've got a monitor screen, we can see what you've recorded and where all your tracks are, and the, the greatest facility that it offers is this auto-drop-in where you can program it precisely any point on the track where you want to drop in and out, and it'll do it seamlessly, you know, you, if, you, if you set the point properly, you won't hear the drop, and it's, it's made a very, very lazy musician out of me. That's well, nice to have something like that though at your house in semi-retirement. Absolutely. Oh, it's it's the most amazing thing, and uh, you know, and I've got a few. I've got an, a tube tech compressor and uh, a Lexicon reverb. I don't really go for a lot of studio uh, toys, you know, the outboard stuff, because mm. I, I just find it too complicated. 
Um, I like things kind of uh, pared down to a bare minimum. And um, but that, that's probably why I'll never really make uh, adequate finished masters from home. You know, I'll have to take it somewhere and get it tarted up if I ever get to the stage where I finish a project. Hmm. Get, yeah, so you could get pretty close and then just have to go wrap it up somewhere else. Yeah, home. yeah. Okay. All right, very good. I was going to – I really – I'm not going to probably understand most of this. I will admit that up front. I want to go back to an earlier comment you made at the start of the show where – you had said that Todd had this uh, specific sound and you didn't want to get into the technical part of it, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear about that. Well, there's a certain um, area of the, and I don't actually know where it is, uh, uh, it's sonic, if you look at um, the sonic frequency, um, uh, now how can I put this, Uh, a sound spectrum, there's a certain area in the sound spectrum, I, I don't know, it's somewhere around maybe, um, 1500 hertz po- possibly I don't know uh, but there's an area in 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 uh, uh, you know a, a spectrum of sound that Todd Todd's ears are sort of attracted to and they're very very radio friendly frequencies so whether he did it by uh, design or whether it's just something that he's um, he defaults to from I imagine he just you know it's just something that he it's the way he hears music it's like I was saying earlier about trying to copy guitar sounds. We all hear music slightly differently, and we think we're close to what we imagine we're hearing as being the perfect sound. And we can sometimes be miles off. And I'm not suggesting Todd's miles off, quite the contrary. But he does have this, there is this little area that uh, it's somewhere in the high mids, somewhere in those high mid frequencies, around 1,500, 2,000 hertz, possibly. I, d- I don't actually know really what I'm talking about, but there is sort of... good. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's a certain, yeah. frequ- a certain area of frequencies that Todd will always gravitate towards, mm-hmm. and fortunately, they're very radio-friendly. That's good. Very nice. Okay, so you're listening to Rundgren Radio. We're with Dave Gregory of XTC. We have a call from area code 466. Hello, Dave. It's Per again. Oh, Per, Hello. I just have to ask a question about collecting XTC stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, are you surprised uh, over the interest sometimes that people have in the collecting stuff? Well, I'm surprised in one way, but not in another, because, of course, I'm a collector as well. I've, uh, I have a house full of vinyl records, and I'm still collecting them. Um, and I, again, you know, so I see what the sort of the hunter-gatherer instinct uh, is kind of, I, I can sympathize entirely with that. But some of the stuff, some of the XTC stuff, I mean, there's probably, I've probably thrown away more valuable stuff to XTC mm. collectors over the years without even realizing that it might have any value at all, you know, promotional items and stuff like that. So, yes, it is, it's always, um, it always amazes me how much people are prepared to spend just on our records, you know, some, some rare prints of records. Um, you, which, uh, you have that unique science fiction 7-inch with a picture sleeve from UK, you know, I think they rated it at record collector as number 7 or number 8 as the most valuable item. Did you, did you see that? I, no, I didn't. But I, I, I mean, has it actually? I've never actually seen a copy of it. I, mean, I have. You've actually got a copy, have you? <laughs> no, I don't. But I have been home to Mark Strebos. Ah, yes. In Holland, and uh, he have an absolutely mint copy of it. Well, well, well. Now, are you talking about just 
um, collecting vinyl, or do you have or do people collect some type of memorabilia from XTC? And if so, give me a couple examples of something that you might have or people would want. Well, it's everything. Uh, I, for instance, have a gold record for drums and wires. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, belongs to Colin Molding from the beginning, and people collect uh, brochures, a fish, uh, posters, anything. Anything, huh? Yeah, yeah. Badges, <laughs> badges, posters, T-shirts, the lot. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and uh, but that science fiction single is uh, the real uh, treasure of it all. Yeah. But you have never seen it, actually. I've never seen a copy of it, no. Mm-hmm. But I've okay. definitely, you know, I, I knew it was out there somewhere. I don't know how many of them have exist. The rumor is that it's around 15 or 20 at the maximum. Yeah. And maybe five or so have survived. So why would they have pressed so few then? I mean, what was the purpose? Was it to sort of for DJs or something? No, the rumor is that Ian Reid, the manager, made a few for for some of the sales representatives at Virgin. Oh. I don't know if it's true, but the copy that Mark Strebus bought was from uh, one of the Virgin representatives in... uh, Holland. So uh, I think it was a very small thing. I have another question for you, and it's about your own website, Dave. Mm. Uh, Are you going to relaunch it in some way? I've heard rumors about that. Well, you know, I I have sort of ambivalent feelings about it, really. Um, The problem is that I'm unhappy about the fact that there's a contact button on there, and yet nobody can contact me through it. You know, I'm not being sent mail. Mm. And... um, I didn't want to, when they set the website up, I said, look, I'm quite happy for this to go ahead, but you're going to have to deal with the the communication side of things. I'm happy to answer any emails people send me, but I don't want them sending stuff to my private email account, into my private mailbox. So if you can just sort of set that to one side and deal with the mail, I'll answer any questions people have. Well, then, of course, um, that's kind of stopped happening and so uh, but then of course people are probably still mail shotting my website hoping to you know get in touch with me and i'm not i haven't seen a single piece of uh, uh, uh email since since 2004 so it's nearly four years now where i've not had any communication they need to figure out how to get you that mail it's g- guitargonauts right dot com that's right yeah yeah maybe you could put a uh, forum up there or something so they can you know, and i've asked chat. them you know i yeah. said either 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 remove the contact button or just, you know, put a note up there to say that, you, you know, I can't be reached. Because it is a shame. I mean, it's, I'm not actually doing anything. I don't really, as I said before, if I had a, an active career, then it would be something that I would be uh, most anxious to keep going, and I'd, I'd, I'd pay more attention to it and maybe put some money into it even. Mm-hmm. But uh, as things are, it's just a sort of, it's a reference site, really. You know, there's all the, it's got discography, it's got a list of all the stuff I've played on. Um, just a little information site. Great. Okay. Thanks again, Dave. Hey, thanks okay. for calling in again. Thanks. Appreciate you. So, are there any vinyl records you said you collect them? Is there any uh, one that you treasure that you do not have that we make it fine for you today? Not really. No. <laughs> I, I just because I'm just it's like a, it's an awful habit. I mean, even this lunchtime, you know, there's a, a yard sale near in the West Swindon Centre near where I live, and every Sunday they have these yard sales and. Uh, Every Sunday I go down there hunting for vinyl, and I'll buy it because it's cheap. This is the thing, you see. It's yeah. cheap. People want to get rid of it. They're only asking a few pence for these things. So I'll grab them and uh, clean them up and have a listen to them and discover a whole bunch of stuff that's, um, that I, I wouldn't normally waste money on. 
it's just the fact that it's cheap and available and uh, so I just fill up a bag of stuff you know hand over a fiver and, and that'll keep me happy for a couple of weeks but it's getting ridiculous now because uh, <laughs> they take up a lot of space yeah. and um, you know the, the house has only got so much room in it there's something nice about having them though they're just so much bigger and easier to read than a CD and they sound better don't, you know, I just love the sound of vinyl for rock music. Mm. It is the best medium. You'll never better it. And uh, I know that CDs, are, they're getting better at mastering them. Uh, and I mean, this could be another interview altogether about uh, my, uh, the shortcomings of digital mastering. I've right. got lots to say about that. Mm. But, um, you know, until they get something that's concerned, because it's like they've gone over the top now. It's, everything is too high depth highly defined there's too it's too in your face it's too loud everything's as loud as everything else you know there's no dynamic it's everything squashed into this huge bludgeoning wallop of sound and um you know that you it's you know a mastering engineer would know what i'm talking about there. Mm-hmm. i'm sure most people you know listening making a comparison between a cd and a it's and just a not as nice pure key, maybe a nice pure key. sound yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. okay just, you know huh. So that's your main way of listening to things now is on the turntable. Yes, it is. I like that. And if I like, uh, <laughs> and I, but I do, I, you know, I can clean them up in the computer and burn discs from the vinyl, and they sound okay. They're not too bad, not quite as uh, pure as, a, as, as the actual vinyl itself, but it certainly sounds better than the majority of the reissues of, uh, of, vi- of CDs that I've uh, been mistaken enough to buy in the past. <laughs> All right. We're winding down, but I think we may have another international car. Are you with us? Yeah, how are you doing? It's Trevor Williams in Melbourne again. Hi, hey, Trevor. Uh, just a quickie. Uh, what was the most technically challenging song for you to play live with XTC? I recently saw a very nice clip on YouTube of um, Jason and the Argonauts on uh, the Oxford Road Show, and I thought that was a pretty tough song. <laughs> uh, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, no, but I, I used to enjoy playing Jason the Argonauts. It was because the, the twelve-string guitar the, and the, the phrase that Andy had come up with that sort of that little uh, across the string. Well, I, I could demonstrate if I had the guitar, but you know the, the, the main hook of the song. That was reasonably easy to play because we just when it came to the solo section. Um, he just sort of blissed out in a little trance. You know, he just went off on these little solo things based around this one riff. And uh, with the twelve-string guitar, you could move it around, and you could, it, it made an interesting changes of pattern. It was all basically the same riff, but you could uh, get some interesting inversions because of the structure of the twelve-string guitar. So that wasn't a big problem. Now, the one I always had trouble with was Burning with Optimism's Flames. That was oh, yeah. quite tough. And um, let me see. I can't, don't know. I think because after you know they were always most of the songs were tough when we on day one of rehearsals. But after a couple of gigs, you know, it just became like clockwork and you just forgot about what you were doing. You're always working on an autopilot. But I would often, um, I remember I'd often mess up the solo in reel by reel if the song was start, was play, being played too fast, you know, because I had this <laughs> fairly, fairly zippy little guitar solo in the middle. And if it was counted off too fast at the start, you know, I couldn't cram it all in there. But... You know, generally speaking, we, we were able to cope with most of the stuff. And if it was going to be too complicated, then we just wouldn't put it in the set. Well, that's great. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, hello to all the XTC Forum fans. This is Celtic from the XTC Forum. 
in case the name Trevor Williams doesn't ring any bells. <laughs> Cheers, Doug. See you. Appreciate it, Celtic. Thanks, man. Cheers. That's what we need to know right there. So it's hard to keep up with everybody on that forum. It's a very active one there. You got a lot of fans, Dave, and I know they enjoy talking to you today. And I really appreciate you giving us so much time to be on the show. It was great. It's been a pleasure. It's a, I mean, it was a real treat for me. I thank you. Thanks very much for the opportunity. It's a sure. joy meeting these people. Let's do it again sometime. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks Have a lot. Day. Take okay. Care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. That's Dave Gregory with XTC. You're listening to Rungren Radio, and we will have another show soon. We don't have anything booked yet. We're working on several things, including a suggestion by Chasm Sultan. So just keep checking the site or checking the normal places like trconnection.com or Hot Toddy's uh, List or MySpace, etc., and we'll keep you in the loop on what's going on. And don't forget mvyradio.com, Tuesday at 4 o'clock Eastern, they have an entire show dedicated to Utopia's Deface the Music. That should be pretty interesting because there will be some insight and information about it, and they'll play the whole album. So that is it. I'm going to play you a little XTC here, and hope you all have a great week. Bye-bye. Orange and lemon wing coats roll and tumble together Just like music from a train Pero